In my last parish, we had a parishioner who was in his 70s named Gwen Scott. He was actually the person I buried last before coming here. And Gwen always had a twinkle in his eye, a very mischievous spirit, and he had children. And I was around him a number of times when I would listen to him introduce his daughter. And he would introduce his daughter to someone who did not know her, and he would say, I would like for you to meet my daughter. She's my favorite daughter. And there would be this sort of awkward pause, and then the favorite daughter would explain, um, sometimes slightly embarrassed, but having heard her father do that hundreds of times, that she is actually the only daughter. We know for a fact that Joseph is the favorite son. And Jacob's not being funny in implying that and showing that. Jacob's the father by his actions. Joseph, of course, is given by his father a coat of many colors, this beautiful tunic that he wears so proudly. Joseph has 11 brothers, and that coat for those 11 brothers represents favoritism, and their jealousy is inflamed. Joseph is also a dreamer. He has these remarkable dreams, and when he's younger, he doesn't know what they mean. But he shares them constantly in his family. I dreamed this last night. And he'll dream of of having so much wheat, it's just unimaginable. He'll dream of some people being higher and some people being lower. He doesn't know what any of it means, but his brothers and his father continually interprets his dreams is proving that Joseph is actually the greatest. This builds up over time, over years. So much so that the brothers reach a point where they cannot even speak the word peace to their brother Joseph. And they're off tending a field somewhere, and their father sends Joseph to go and check on them. And finally they've had it up to here, and it reaches this crazy moment that seems to come out of nowhere, even for all the years of jealousy, where they decide that they're going to murder their brother. One of them says, no, let's not murder him. Let's just throw him in this pit. And they throw him in this pit, and they think about it for a while, and they decide, well, let's not just leave him there. Let's make a profit on him. And this is that moment. This is the first novella in the Bible. It's the first long story in Genesis. They decide to sell their brother Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And the Ishmaelites deliver Joseph into the land of Egypt. And that's how we get there. As stories go, a lot changes over the next few years. There's a feast of plenty. There's a drought. There's a famine. And 20 or so years later, 20 or so years later, the father and the 11 brothers are starved, literally. So they decide to go into Egypt where they've heard that there's plenty of grain and that things are still pretty good. And during that 20 years, what's happened is Joseph, who was sold as a slave, Joseph has risen up according to one of his dreams. He's risen up through the ranks, and he's now the viceroy or just in charge of all the grain, all the food in Egypt. 
And all of a sudden one day, Joseph's brothers show up requesting food and grain and anything they can get. And they've brought silver to pay for it. And as they approach Joseph, they don't recognize him. But Joseph recognizes them. He knows them immediately. They treat him like a stranger. He doesn't say that he recognizes them. And he has one question for them. Is this all you are? Who else is with you? Where do you come from? He said, well, we're 12 brothers, one of whom has died, the youngest of which is back home with our father. And in that moment, and it's the first of three, in that moment, Joseph turns and weeps. And then he comes back to them again, and he packs their bags with grain and food and all manner of resources And he says one thing, if you ever come back here again, you must bring the youngest brother, I'll never believe you. They leave that night, one of them unpacks one of the bags at the campfire and discovers not only do they have all their grain, but strangely all of their silver is still in their bags. Whoever that strange person was charged charged them nothing for all of the grain. Years go by again, and finally they're out of food, out of grain, one more time. So they have no choice but to go back to Egypt. And they have no choice, even though it breaks their father's heart, to take Benjamin, the baby, with them. They go back again, they run into Joseph again, they have no idea who he is. Again, Joseph knows exactly who they are. And Joseph counts, looking at them, counts to 11, and he says, pointing to one of them, is that, is that the youngest that you told me about years ago? And they said, yes, it's the youngest. It's the baby boy. And for the second time, Joseph has to turn away. He leaves them and weeps. This has been going on for 20-something years. And then he comes back and he says, in one of the greatest lines in all of the scriptures, he says to his servants, serve the meal. And everyone looks around at their plates and Benjamin, the baby, has been given more food than anyone. Another sign of reversal that constantly happens in the scriptures. And then Joseph dismisses all of his servants so that there are 12 Boys, 12 brothers left at table. And Joseph, the story tells us, weeps so loudly for a third time that even Pharaoh hears it in his palace. And he finally says, I am Joseph. How's my daddy? And they all weep. And they all embrace. And they're all mysteriously reconciled. What we heard this morning is the end of all of that. And you can't understand the end of that entire story. The end when Joseph is about to die at 110 years old. Unless you've known what has happened. So 
all that precedes it leads to this great line where Joseph on his deathbed says, What you intended for evil, God intended for good. God is mentioned very little in that novella. Shockingly little, actually. Instead, it's a story in which God is constantly implied. God is implied in the tears. God is implied in the feasting. God is implied in the joy. God is implied in the mysterious reconciliation. God is implied in the forgiveness. I heard once, and I'd never heard this, um, and, and 10 years ago I wouldn't have agreed. I heard an Episcopal priest say once, and he happened to be Are you used to ambulances going by? God bless them. My goodness. God bless them and whoever's whoever's in trouble. I heard an Episcopal priest say once, and and he was also a Jungian analyst, so he sort of thought deeply about, he drank from a deep well. Um, And he said once that he's come to realize that God is more of an experience and not so much an idea. And that is a perfect synopsis of this novella. God is rarely talked about, but it's just implied. You can feel it. You can touch it. You can taste it. Serve the meal. There's a great Hasidic saying. Oh, Bonnie's going to be so proud of me that I know a Hasidic saying. Um, There's a great Hasidic saying, God invented people. Because God loves stories. It's the stories we tell that help us to figure out who we are and who God is. Yesterday, we buried um, Virginia Pine, a longtime member of this parish. Um, so long that, that, that you hadn't seen her in a while because she was 94 and hadn't been able to be at church in quite a few years just because of her health. And she's married to Perry, and Perry's 94, and they'd been married for 73 years. Perry seems to me a lot like Joseph. He, he, he weeps and laughs a lot after losing his wife of 73 years. And God is implied in so many of his emotions. And we did the service in here. I know many of you have done this. And we processed out and we walked around to All Souls Walk, which I think is the loveliest spot here. You can just, it's just so beautiful and peaceful. And you just feel the presence of of the communion of saints in that place. And everybody was huddled around the, the niche where the ashes go. And gather together so closely that I think every person in that crowd of 50 in that columbarium, every person was touching another person. It was huddled together. And it was beautiful and reverent and traditional. And I just had the sense that we were being so careful and reverent, not only with Virginia's presence, with her ashes, But we were being careful and reverent with these stories, these 94 years of stories that you could feel 
in everyone's eyes, especially Perry's. It's the stories that we tell. It's the stories that we tell that help us recognize who in the world we are, and especially who God is. It's the stories that let us know who we are. And maybe that has something to do at the end of the day and in the last analysis with what resurrection is, actually. That in resurrection, God remembers us, remembers us. And that our stories are not lost. And all that was good that we experienced is not lost. And all that was tough that we experienced, all that was broken that we experienced is somehow healed. And whatever division we knew is somehow reconciled and made right. God does not forget who you are. Maybe that's one piece of what resurrection's all about. This Sunday we, is Stewardship Sunday. And so we actually get to go to All Souls Walk following this service. And the Stewardship Committee has um, prepared a, a, a breakfast and all manner of good things. And apparently it will be beautiful. And there's a band and all kinds of things. I actually don't know if the band shows up for the 745. I don't know. You probably know better than I. I don't know if you get the full, all of it, but we'll see. It's the beginning of that season in which we ask you to give financially. We ask you to pledge. And all a pledge is, and I know some of you have heard this probably so many times. All a pledge is is, is estimating what you think you're going to give to St. John's next year. And telling us in advance. And where that's helpful for us is it just helps us to plan and budget accordingly so that we use your financial gift as wisely and creatively as we can because we know that it's coming. But here's why I think it matters. I think it matters because we need it. Trust me when I say this, we need it. I think you need to give too. I think giving opens up all of our hearts. But what it really helps us to do, and I have a much better sense of our budget strengths and limitations after a couple of months, the more generous you are, the better able we are able to tell the stories. It lets us share the stories with more and more people. The stories of Joseph. The stories of Christ, of course. The stories of Virginia. Your story. What's incredible about all these stories is they are absolutely given to us in order to be shared with more and more people. So that more and more people begin to recognize that God is right in the middle of every chapter in their own stories. Constantly and mysteriously shaping it for good. So that the beginnings, the middles, and the ends become more and more interesting, beautiful, and whole.